0: Hello, hello, my friends, you are listening to The Stimulus Podcast, where we break down ideas, strategies, tactics, logistics, and habits, and mindsets, why not, to help you live and work with intent, level up, and kick ass. My name is Rob Orman, I spent 20 years as an emergency physician, and now as a physician coach, I help clinicians work through burnout, get unstuck, and take their careers and lives where they want them to be. And if any of that sounds like a cool glass of water on a hot summer's day, you can find me at roborman.com and let's chat. Well, actually, you won't find me there per se, but you can contact me through there. You know what I'm talking about. And to wit, on the last pod, I mentioned a new free resource on the website, scripting your least favorite conversations. Many of you have already taken advantage of this, and for those who haven't, if least favorite conversations are something you have from time to time in the acute care workplace, it's just focused on that. I know a lot of us have least favorite conversations in various fields of our lives, but this is for the acute care workplace. If you have these, well, you may want to check this thing out at roborman.com under the heading freebies. You may also want to not check it out. Specifically, you might be thinking, I will absolutely not be looking at that document. When I see freebies on the menu bar of the website, I will avert my gaze. I wish you luck. All right. Our guest today is investigative journalist and New York Times best-selling author, Scott Carney. This is Scott's second appearance on Stimulus, his first being episode 50, where we talked about his book, The Wedge which gives a point-of-care mental framework for breaking through adversity. Some of his other books include The Enlightenment Trap, The Vortex, and What Doesn't Kill Us, which was the introduction of Wim Hof to the wider world. And for me, this is a real treat. I think it's going to be for you as well. Personally, I love Scott's books, and I find him to approach things from a really interesting way and be a great conversationalist. And actually, I was a fan of Scott's before he came on the show and reached out to him as kind of my stretch goal for the year, just to see if I could get them. And yeah, it worked out, <laughs> how about that? Now we have them back again, I'm super stoked. And let me give a roadmap of what's to come. We jump in talking about cold immersion, taking ice baths. And this is something that I have been doing for years. We've got an ice bath just outside our bedroom. And when I say ice bath, it's a Jerry rigged frigid air chest freezer. We're going to talk about why you might want to do it. Is there evidence that has any benefit and a step-by-step breakdown of the process of entering cold water? Yes, my friends. On this podcast, we're going to teach you the skill of how to step into an ice bath like a pro. Within that, we're going to talk about locking in emotional responses to intense stimuli, what it's all about, and ways to possibly manipulate that. We're going to talk about the power of lightly held beliefs. And this was one of Scott's podcasts that I found to be an interesting way of self-checking. You know, how strongly or lightly am I holding on to this belief? And what's the value of my degree of attachment to this belief? We're going to talk about breathwork, talk about brown fat. Yep, I'm talking brown fat on the Stimulus Podcast. We get into the law of speedy gains versus diminishing returns and why dabbling isn't such a bad thing. Then we get into Wim Hof, talked about that before. Scott wrote a book on him. And I know that some of you are quite familiar with Wim Hof and have tried out some of his exercises and practices. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, it soon will. And we're gonna get into some of the benefits of the Wim Hof method, but also the downside. And that downside being that people are dying doing the Wim Hof method. Well, not the whole thing, but a very specific combination of things. Before we jump in, profanity warning. There's some F-bombs and some S-bombs and all kinds of bombs on here. And I know that some of you listen to this with your kids. So warning has been placed there. It goes stamped right on the top like they used to do on the old CDs. Now, some of you might be too young to remember that, but (laughs) the explicit warning is in effect. Here we go. When last we spoke, I'm going to do a deep cut here. We talked all about cold immersion and the wedge, and I do want to talk about wedging a little bit, because I've heard all these different ideas on how to do it. Cut into the chase. You were thinking about going for the cold immersion world record. Oh my God. And I just totally forgot to do it.
1: This is my problem, Rob. (laughs) I am incredibly ADD. And I was like, at that point, I was doing like these half an hour immersions. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I could easily, you know, stay in here as long as I wanted because I I had that ability. And then I saw that the cold immersion record was like three hours. And I was like, okay, I probably need to train a little bit to get there. Still thought I could do it. And then I was like, I got busy with other things. And then winter subsided and I had to wait for the ice to freeze again. So, no, I am not the world ice bath record holder and you know what that's fine I'm okay with that I, I I'm not sure I have anything to prove but yeah I, I was on a I was on like a, a like a high at that point when we last spoke and by the way that conversation was awesome so if you haven't heard that podcast go back and look in the the Rob Orman feed uh the stimulus <laughs> podcast is fantastic and but yeah no I never I never a- ended up doing that particular feat I ended up writing some other books instead.
0: Are you still doing the prolonged cold immersion? in the winter,
1: I do. Yeah, I got this really cool team of people, a group of people we call them ice core. And we go out and we take our axes and our spades and stuff, yeah. and we cut through like four or five inches of ice in a lake that's about you know ten minutes from my house, five minutes from my house. And we do minimum of ten minute ice ice immersion in frozen ish water, thirty three degree water, pretty much all winter long. And then I also do like ice baths at my house. Cause I have one, like I'm a, I'm a professional bather. I don't know if you know this about me, investigative journalist slash professional bather. And I do it all the time here. Although I will say I used to be like really hardcore about, it. you got to do like 33 degrees. It has to be under 38 yeah. because that's where, you know, metabolic stuff happens. But now in my old age, I've decided, you know what, if it's 45 degrees, that's still okay. And so I'm taking it in a relative hot tub at my house.
0: After we spoke last, I remember we were emailing back and forth about what kind of cold bath to get. And you I think you get, you have the Forge or you had the, yes. the Forge. Yeah. We went full Pacific Northwest Redneck and Good. got the freezer chest. When you say the
1: freezer chest, you're not talking about a brand. You're talking about Costco, a freezer chest with, with some yes. modifications.
0: Yeah. It was Home Depot. It was a Frigidaire, 700 bucks. And it was probably about a grand all-in to get the deal done. And oh my gosh, game changer! Just to yeah. have because we used to fill the bathtub and put our ice cubes in. It's just kind of oh, pain in good. the butt. Pain in the butt. So in the cold, you do these prolonged periods of time. And when last we spoke, we talked about the wedge, putting this mental and kind of physiologic wedge mm-hmm. between, I basically, stimulus and response. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've I heard another way. This is we've got a lot of cold rivers around here, as as mm-hmm. do you, someone who does a lot of cold river. And they said, yeah, what I use is the wall. I'm aware of the first wall mm-hmm. and that's going to come up. That's the immediate. A, right? And then after a while, there's a second wall and you just have to think, all right, I'm going to break through that wall. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different visualizations of what you're doing. And I'm curious sure. when you're introducing this to people, mm-hmm. how do you guide them to work through the urge to get out of the cold water.
1: Yeah. Well, there's actually three barriers in an ice bath. I mean, it's very similar to your wall metaphor, but we'll repeat it anyway, right? right? The first is the hardest thing about an ice bath or a cold stream or whatever is looking at that cold stream when you're not in it. <laughs> like that's like that's a great great present you're like, "Oh crap," because that's all the anticipation. You're like, "Why am I like I still think this when I look at my ice bath. I'm like, "Why am I why am I the ice bath guy? Like, what's? Why did I do this? Right, <laughs> this is so my the thing. First, first barrier is looking at it. The second barrier is you know you're getting in and you're and you're gonna do the full immersion, right? You're gonna go up to your neck or whatever, and that that first ten seconds sucks. In general, just right across the board. Doesn't matter who you're talking to. That first ten seconds is like never fun. When it, yeah. especially the colder it is. It's
0: for, like, still for you, first ten seconds is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's
1: still for everyone, everyone who does this. There's no one who's like that first ten seconds is my favorite part. No, no one has ever said that and meant it. But then there's the third wall, the what you yeah. will go forth wall metaphor, and that's like after you've been in there a little while and you've relaxed and you're like, okay, I can handle it. And then it's the it's the voice that comes in your head and says, hey you've done enough. No, no, dude, you're good. You've done enough. That's like your brain bargaining with you being like, okay, you did it. You did it. I still want out of here. Now I'm going to convince you the way to get out of here. So it's like this third wall. And then once you get past that, you can do whatever you want, you know, do 10 seconds after that you can get out because you've beaten that voice back. But yeah, it's, it's like a series of things. And the way I tell people to get into an ice bath, the technique is you stand in front of it, you look at it, and you say, this will be good for me. And then you put your foot in and you, you get into the point where you're going to immerse and you take a di- big deep breath in and only one, only one deep breath in, hold it at the top of that full lung and then immerse while you're holding your breath. And the reason why we do that is because people's natural physiological response is to sort of hyperventilate when you get into the bath. You want to avoid that panic response. So if you have actually a, f- a full set of lungs and you know, you're know you just going up on t- to your neck, you're not going underwater. What happens is you can't hyperventilate because you're holding your breath. you are already decided, you've already put that like sort of command into your brain code and you're not going to hyperventilate. So then that, that helps you control. And then you just relax. Then you just like ra- relax, breathe slow, chill out, think about whatever, think about your happy place. And then you will start to love ice baths uh, and you should always stay in at least i I say a minute for people because one of the things with the wedge uh you know in my book the wedge is that you sort of lock in emotional responses into your action into into the sen- sensory environment that you have so if your sensory environment is saying panic and then you panic you lock in that emotional association which the next time you get in, you, you think panic first. And so you want to get through that point where you're now relaxed and you're like, okay, I can do this. And then you can get out. But if you get out really quickly, you actually sort of lock in anxiety and you make your life a little worse. So you have to sort of get through that initial really hard 15, 20 seconds.
0: Let me make sure I have the exact logistics because mm-hmm. this may or not be happening right after we do this talk.
1: Great. Awesome.
0: So, All right. You're looking at the cold. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? You're not even looking at cold. You're just assuming it's cold, but you're looking, you know, it's going to be cold. Right. And you're about ready to go in, take a deep breath, Mm -hmm. get in. Yep. Breath is held. Yes. And then what's my exhalation and next breath instruction? So then you immerse, you do the
1: hard part, right? You do the hard part. Still, Still
0: holding my breath.
1: Still holding your breath. You hold your breath that whole time. It only takes like two seconds. You can do it, man. This is not breath work. This is just holding your breath. Yeah. And then exhale slowly. Yeah. You know, this is like three seconds after you're in the bath. Okay. And then stay calm and be calm in that environment. You're trying to keep your breath slow and controlled. You're trying to not panic. So the wedge you're working on in that point is actually controlling your breath and controlling those autonomic responses.
0: I wanna change gears to something that you talked about on your pod or your VOD. I don't know, is it a pod or is a it VOD? It's kind of both. Yeah, I think
1: the media landscape is changing so much and I'm just glad that it's not a talk, okay?
0: actually on that note you tweet a lot yeah and and now there's what is it threads or vines threads there's
1: threads there's skeets there's all sorts of stuff yeah are you staying just
0: on twitter you like what what are you doing with this
1: no i'm on all of them who knows who's gonna win it's just a a horrible social media hellhole all of the clones you know the blue skies the mastodons the threads twitter it's all like short form bullshit anyway Mm -hmm. and it's just gonna lead us into the same den of social media unhappiness because yeah you know, the thing that I love and the thing that you love too, because you do a podcast is being able to get into nuance. Yeah. And all we get to do on these platforms is to like get angry
0: inside, or, 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 boo dumb me <laughs> or like do something short Righteous indignation is the currency of the day. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. what I get to do. I get to be mad. I could be like, I can't believe you didn't get a vaccine and blow <laughs> my lid. Like that's what I get to do on Twitter. And it's not productive. If I had to choose which one would take over, I think I would go with, blue sky, just because I like the whole idea that it's potentially decentralized and you can take your following elsewhere, hither and thither. But honestly, where I want to spend my time is on YouTube and my podcast, because I get to talk about more nuanced subjects and have control over what is said and really delve into things that are complex. And, you know, humans in general are just, we've gotten such short attention spans. I mean, in the time that we began this podcast to now, you've lost probably like thirty or forty percent of your listeners, and that's just the metrics. That's just the yep. way it goes. Yep. And luckily, the people who made it this far are probably like, "Fine, I don't. I'll, I'll go on, finish my run."
0: They're listening to it at three x speed. I think yeah. that's how they made it here.
1: Yeah, 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 but th- but you know they're doing something. So thank you, yeah. runner. Enjoy your your bike ride <laughs> or your run or your long poop, whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> thank you for being here. And 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 this is where nuance thrives right now in the world is in these sorts of formats. And and this is where I you know I am on all of the places, but this is the only place that I actually like
0: when we're talking about Twitter or, so, or social media. It brings actually I was gonna I was gonna get to this before, but I, perfect segue. It brings up the power of lightly held beliefs. Well, first off, when we double down on it, that lightly held belief seems to become cemented. Right. But you did a pretty deep dive on the power of lightly held beliefs. First off, what do you mean by a lightly held belief? And then how does it have power?
1: The thing with All of our beliefs, whatever it is, you know, let's say it's that sumo wrestling will make you an awesome person. It doesn't really matter what the belief is, but there's a certain amount in the world where we have ideas for how the universe is put together in a way that surpasses science right it surpasses um what we can verify with the scientific method and whatever else and and i am way out there on consciousness like i think that we're all connected in the universal something or other that is conscious that binds all matter together and i know that i can put science to that idea to a certain point once i get to that point i can say goodbye to science and move off into my lightly held idea of what the world looks like. But I have to realize when I've made that transition, when I've said, here's what I can back up and here is where I've gone into another direction. And you have to always take your lightly held belief up to the limit that science can go. We know that science can't answer every question, but it goes up to a point and then you get to launch off on your springboard to wherever you go. And I think this is what sanity is in the world, is getting to that point. And then the, the importance of a lightly held belief, they can really organize your world. They can make you an ethical person, which is not something that science can answer. They can make you more resilient, which is something that science has difficulty answering. They can talk about what consciousness is, which science has no clue what that is. And, and it can really make you operate in the world. And in fact, most of our life is operates in this lightly held belief world. But what we need to be able to do is when you have your belief, is to realize when it no longer serves you is to realize when you have gotten calcified in your belief and your belief either doesn't match with what we can say in the scientific reality, or it's like actually making your life worse because you've caught onto it so hard that you just don't want to leave it. And it's making it like a sort of a psychological or, you know, bad outcome or like you don't, you've lost your friends or, you know, whatever. And this is why I, I think I quote Max Weber in that in that podcast where I say, you know, these beliefs should be held like a lightly held cloak and you should be able to ca- just cast them off and go to another belief that serves you better. And I think that most of us in the world, particularly with COVID and, and like in the Trump presidency, and I don't care what side of the political divide you were on, you hated the other side because <laughs> the, <other, laughs> the other side said something that was either libtarded or, cons- or fascist, right? You know, whatever... <laughs> whatever, wherever you ended up on. And I promise you, neither the liberals nor the conservatives nor whoever other group that was out there was right 100% of the time because we fall into this groupthink thing where we calcify and it's bad for our own personal integration, our own health. And honestly, it didn't make the world a better place.
0: As you're saying that, I'm thinking about, all right, well, what are lightly held beliefs that I have? And I want to hear about lightly held beliefs you have. But as you're talking about covid was kind of processing this idea masks oh my gosh a lightly held belief that became calcified i love that word calcified Mm -hmm. and think yeah whatever masks whatever but then it becomes this virtue signal and then masks are this and well the cdc was lying no the cdc was just trying to protect and well it's Mm -hmm. actually nuanced and then masks don't work on a public health level it's like then masks don't work at all and it just becomes this black and white and I thought that I was such a rational, discerning person. Yeah. And it's, I, it's mm-hmm. like, I would never fall prey to this. And I had never heard that term, lightly held belief, mm-hmm. which I love. And I was I was speaking to a, I guess you'd say like a public health expert. Why wouldn't you wear a mask? And then he brings up, says, oh, well, here's the evidence on masks that says mm-hmm. this, and they do this, and they don't do this. I'm like, whoa, I was all black and white. I had right. calcified. Right. And then if I saw someone who is not wearing a mask in the grocery store, mm-hmm. this is at, at the time, you'd hate them. I you feel enraged. And it's, yeah. it's, like, it's like, you are killing everybody in here. You see yeah. that old lady, And I was like, wow, that was a lightly held belief that did not.
1: Get no, in examined. fact. It was a strongly held belief that should have been a lightly. Oh, That's what yeah. it was. It's like, it wasn't, you, you, we should hold these beliefs. And this is what science is great at, right? Science is great at, as you get evidence, you test your evidence, you change your evidence, you make hypothesis and you move on. And what happened in COVID is we had a bunch of hypotheses and not a ton of data. And the data was confusing. And then we had let's virtue signal the fuck out of this. Like, let's just solve this by being assholes to everyone. And it was not, it's not a good public health policy because it didn't end up giving us better public health to tweet rage tweets at people. And it polarized the whole country. And and I think it's really important, especially now. You know, we've we've gone through the worst of it, but I think we all have to admit where we had strongly held beliefs where when we should have had lightly held beliefs and realize how counterproductive it is, is to just grab on to um, a group think that didn't have a positive outcome in the end. And now I still, you know, I still think the masks were probably generally a good thing. I think the vaccine was generally a great thing, but I also don't think that the people who are like, yeah, but big pharma has really screwed us over on many occasions Let's you go. You are correct, sir. <laughs> Suddenly you have to be on the other side, be like, well, no, Big Pharma's right here. It's like, no, actually, it's a super nuanced and, and yeah. complex situation. And Fauci had a
0: really freaking hard job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't a- want his job. It's amazing. <laughs> the. The hatred that that guy gets, uh, and it doesn't seem like there was any malfeasance on his part. He's just like, "How do I navigate this thing the best?" Oh my god! And Fauci kind of should have been a lightly <laughs> held yeah. man. He just, I mean.
1: I mean, we should do. You should do a podcast called "The Truth About Fauci," which is, of course, everyone's going to be like, "Ah, he's the worst guy in the world." But it's really like, no, dude, that guy. Imagine being in his position. <laughs> imagine being in Fauci's position, where all of a sudden you have a divided country and you have to make someone, everyone, follow one public health policy. And yeah. I don't care what one was. Let's say his public health policy was like Sweden's, which was don't do anything, guys, just let it go. That was also going to get the crazy backlash and have and have a bifurcated society and at the end of the day with covid anyway it looks like china which had a really strict situation got screwed it looks like the people who did the most liberal situation you know the most liberal like like no um, protections they got screwed and it seems like the the divided society also got screwed so maybe we were gonna get screwed anyway
0: (laughs) i want to see if this is a lightly or strongly held belief sure why do you do? Cold exposure.
1: Oh, yeah. This is actually a really good one. So I'm known for being the cold exposure guy. And there's a a fair amount of science about cold exposure. I wrote a whole book called What Doesn't Kill Us, New York Times bestseller, about cold exposure. And I took the science that was there at that time to the point that was available. I looked at the studies, which were fine. They were like solid bees, you know, Uh, (laughs) solid, like really solid bees. And then I took it a little farther, and and then I and then I used my anecdotes, my own experiences of being, N of one studies are fantastic. We all love them because we are N of ones. Every human experience is you an know, N this, of one. This this
0: podcast originally was called N of one. Oh, love it. <laughs> that was it. There, back it had a it was in another permutation, and then it mm-hmm. changed stimulus. So, wow, deep cut, baby, deep cut. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and the thing is that my life got better
1: my anxiety got went down. I had an autoimmune illness that went away. I saw that I could climb up mountains in my bathing suits. Like I saw these things happen and I attributed it to the breathwork and the ice exposure and the various other stuff that I was doing. Scientifically, you can't really start making those causal statements without a study that will never be conducted. Without a study that costs a billion dollars and, you know, gets involved, you know, has like the real statistical significance that comes out of it. So you sort of have to look at ice and cold exposure as a lightly held belief. And then we also have contradictory evidence. There's other studies that come out and say that it doesn't do anything or it's just the placebo effect. And I have to just say, cool, well, it works for me and I've seen it work for other people. And if it doesn't work for you, just like with any drug that you might take, if you give someone Lipitor and their and their you know the LDL doesn't go down, you switch them to another drug. Fine, go for it. And and I, I sort of view it in that in that same manner. It's likely actually for some people that the types of breathing that I do, which is a, sort of a hyperventilation based Wim Hof breathing, that for me works really well. For other people, it can cause them severe anxiety and panic attacks. So. Don't do that. If it doesn't work for you, you don't do that. And I think anyone who's listening to this podcast can understand the idea that there's no one right answer, right? Anyone who's in medicine knows that medicine is as much an art as it is uh, something that draws on science. Medicine is something that uses science, but it is not science. It is not one size fits all for every person. We have to look at medicine to some degree as a lightly held belief, especially when we get to more, more less tried and true medicine. When you talk about antibiotics fixing that bacterial strain, well, that's pretty good. But at some point you're going to be like, well, does, I don't know, anything in functional medicine actually work? Maybe, maybe not.
0: I love that you said that medicine should be a lightly held belief. When a clinician holds strongly to a belief as dogma, Mm -hmm. then you are Basically, anti scientific. Yes. I remember back in the 1990s when I was first learning how to do trauma resuscitation. If we had somebody who had multiple gunshot wounds, we would get five bags of IV fluid, five bags, and we would just like squeeze them in and just, yeah, we got to get the fluid in there. We got to get the fluid. And then the evidence came out that maybe we were hurting people with that. Oh my God. But because, you know, if somebody's, losing blood it turns out they need blood but we thought oh as long as we keep their blood pressure up we're we're doing a good thing yeah but it it was such dogma that yeah. when the the evidence first came out you know a, a lot of us were like oh come on balderdash that's, that's I don't know might be too old time might need a bowler hat when i say balderdash but that's balderdash and yeah. that that can't be right i mean this is the tried and true thing yet everything we do in medicine even a vaccine I don't think I could be a stronger proponent of vaccination, Mm -hmm. but if some evidence came out that said, oh, it turns out that vaccinating for influenza actually increases the chance that you're going to die of this other kind of pneumonia. It's like, okay, well, we need to investigate that. Not that you actually believe that immediately. You have to do something still. Well, sometimes you do nothing, but you have to do something yet. Even that something's like, okay, I'm not calcified in this so that I couldn't change my mind if evidence comes out to the contrary.
1: I do want to point out, though, in your case of of your five gunshot wound patient, you are a doctor delivering care. You're doing what you, you know and what you can do with the information out there. And, you know, we look in the in the ancient past and there was like bloodletting and bloodletting has been credited with killing a fair number of people. But... It's also been credited with saving a fair number of people. We look at bloodletting and we're like, ha ha ha, look at those idiots with their bloodletting. They killed all these people. But if you, if you had a situation where you had someone with acutely high blood pressure, right? Like, and it was like getting to the point where it was going to kill them, bloodletting actually is a remarkably good, a remarkably good way (laughs) to um, uh, drop that down if you're in medieval Europe. And you have to sort of accept that that science is a progression. And I'm not suggesting that, obviously, anyone here needs to do bloodletting outside of a few very specific cases. Science is an iterative process. And we get stuck in our dogmas, and we have to be willing to leave it because that is what science is. That is the nature of science. We have to know that we're not, we have not arrived at the pinnacle. We have not arrived at the final mechanistic discussion of how things will work. And we sort of have to muddle our way through it. So I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't think you feel guilty. For you know, oh, no. you know d- dropping IV fluid into
0: that—that w- that was what we thought the pinnacle was at the time. But yeah, well, turns out it wasn't.
1: Yeah, later it's going to be to drop them into an ice bath and 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 give them protein enemas with light crystals. But you know, we're not there yet.
0: We're just not there yet. So you mentioned a few times breathwork and your book "What Doesn't Kill Us." And that book for li- listeners, if you do breathwork and if you do cold immersion, that was the book. If not the book, one of the books that was the vanguard, bringing that to the rest of the world, or at least the re- the Western world, mm-hmm. and it focused on Wim Hof, mm-hmm. also known as the Ice Man, right? And you know, really interesting guy. I guess you'd say a Dutch extreme athlete, a health yes. instructor. And he was renowned for his ability to withstand freezing temperatures, to hold his breath for a long time. And then he developed and he taught the Wim Hof method. So, that was a combination of cold exposure and breathing techniques and meditation, ostensibly to promote physical and mental wellness. And right. the breathing technique is this hyperventilatory breathing technique where you you know hyperventilate for 30 seconds and then hold your breath and then have like a a near psychedelic experience Mm. over and over Mm -hmm. and it really caught on like wildfire
1: yeah everywhere like Mm -hmm. justin bieber is doing it kim kardashian's doing it there's a a tv show in the uk called the um, Freeze Your Fear. He's have a movie coming out with Joseph Fines. He was on Goop Lab. I mean, Wim Hof, when I met him, was a nobody circus clown. And now he is like the international man of mystery with like, I don't know, it's something like six or 8 million followers on social media, yeah. movie deals. Like, He's a big deal. And it has been quite a journey with him, uh, I have to
0: say. But things have not been what they... Have appeared at least as no. far as, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and this is really the reason why we're doing this podcast. And I, I recently released this video called "The Rise and Fall of the Wim Hof Empire." It's also on my podcast, Scott Carney Investigates. And it, it, you know, I, I have been the number one Wim Hof proponent for ten years. You know, I was uh, the guy. I did the the first Playboy story, first story ever like that was serious about Wim Hof and, and that sort of kicked him off on the Joe Rogan vice super fame highway that he got on. But I was the first guy at the very beginning and the methods changed my life. They work, you know, my lightly held belief is go for a Wim Hof method. But the problem is <laughs> yeah. actually in some ways with fame and with, with Twitter and with Instagram and, and with Wim Hof is a really likable charismatic guy but he's also a freaking madman. Like he is out on a limb and he makes up science continually. He doesn't have lightly held beliefs. He just believes everything. And he goes on Russell Brand and he he talks about how if you hyperventilate, you get more than 100% oxygen in your body and it cures cancer. It does all of these things, which it doesn't because there's nothing that is more than 100%, right? There's, and and he speaks in like sort of like nonsense and he do, he's really well known for these extreme stunts, you know, climbing up Mount Mount Kilimanjaro with me. He climbed up Mount Everest in shorts, but got frostbite and almost died. He has the world ice bath record, but no longer. He uh, swam under sea ice for a, a really long distance and almost died the first time he did it. And like, there's all of these stories about Wim Hof that present him as like a superhero. When in reality, he's just a guy who's sort of crazy and did some cool stuff and he should be the door to these practices. But he is now so famous that people just look at him as like the ice bath, swimming underwater guy, and they're doing his practices and they're following him, the person, the guru, and they're not really just doing the stuff that they should do safely. And the, and the real reason why I put this video out, the rise and fall of the Wim Hof empire is because I've been tracking deaths associated with the Wim Hof method where people hyperventilate and then they go into the water and drown. And it's something called um, shallow water blackout or underwater um, hypoxic blackout, depending on what how you want the nomenclature for it. But basically what happens from a physiological perspective is you blow off all your CO2 and, and your body detects CO2 to, to gasp. And if you're underwater and you've blown off all your CO2, you can't detect the point where you run out of oxygen. And so you have a lot of people drowning in these shallow water places. And then Wim Hof, the most famous ice bather breath worker person out there, repeatedly teaches hyperventilation and water. Repeatedly. You know, I have, he sold this like course that's $99 classic 10 week course, where on the eighth week, he teaches you very explicitly to hyperventilate and dunk your head in water. And it is a true tragedy. Because when I put this video out, I worked on it for six months. It uh, came out on June 26th. Today is July 13th when we're recording. Four additional people have died wow. since just that release that I found, right? And I I, I don't have like some sort of psychic way to know everyone, the causes of everyone's drowning in the world, right? It's like, these are news reports or these are tips. And I think my guess is we're looking at possibly hundreds of cases of deaths. Most of my cases are in the United States but Wim Hof is globally known. And so I'm ringing the alarm bells on the gurufication and the strongly held belief that whim is the pathway and that whim says everything right. And when you do the Wim Hof method, you should be following Wim Hof the person because it is so, so dangerous. And I feel an immense amount of guilt and responsibility since I was so involved in making Wim Hof famous. I've done like 300 interviews about Wim Hof and we have to get this information out there. If we don't, we're just going to see this enormous, you know, pile of deaths. Also, there's a big lawsuit. Like, there's a sixty-seven million dollar lawsuit against Wim Hof right now, and and that's why I'm, you know, sort of going all over the world and 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 alienating all my readers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so superventilatory, hyperventilatory breath work. Well, I want to get back to that in a moment. In, sure. in and of itself, not bad. Yeah, cold immersion, not bad. But it is this combination of the hyperventilatory, superventilatory breathing, followed immediately by going underwater by immersion. I don't remember which one of the videos I was watching. It was one of yours where they're like a bunch of people in a pond doing the breath work. And then all at once, they all go underwater. Right. And it's right. Like, a, like a Wim Hof retreat.
1: Yeah, he calls it a baptism. And, you know, he, he he baptizes people after, you know, they spend a week with him jumping off cliffs and hyperventilating, doing all this various things. And then he leads them all in this group and they all hyperventilate. They all put their face in water. And it's crazy because, you know, there are warnings on his website saying never, ever hyperventilate in water. But I guess the exception is unless you think that Wim Hof wants you to. And the message out there, like, I don't think anyone would have died in that moment, but it was a super creepy culty moment. But the thing is, is that this information gets out there, we conflate Wim Hof land breathing with Wim Hof water immersion, and then you get this very toxic brew. Uh, and Wim Hof himself is not doing enough to stop that from occurring. In fact, he just repeatedly teaches the techniques that are dangerous in person. And it's funny because the it's not funny, it's tragic. The organization knows this is super dangerous. So they're putting warnings on everything. Don't do this in water. But then the video is Wim Hof doing it in water. Uh, and then, you know, I write Wim an email about it. I'm like, what's going on with all these people who are dying? And and he writes back basically I'm not responsible for everyone who drowns in the world. Look at all the people I've saved, and you know you're persecuting me just like the Romans persecuted Jesus, which is not the response that I wanted to hear.
0: One of the foundations of this is hyperventilatory breathwork, right? Which which feels feels really cool, and that was, I think, most people's introduction to what breathwork can be like. Sure, right? Because it's so quick and yeah. obvious. Yeah. There's a breathwork group that we have a lot of breathwork groups around here, and 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 one it meets monthly. That's all they do, which is basically an hour and a half of that, mm-hmm. and people have basically religious experiences right. with right. this. And it is, and really, what that does, I mean, that just brings your sympathetic nervous system just way high, and you have these cycles of hypocapnia followed by hypoxia followed by hypercapnia. And it's presented when we're, I mean, we're just talking about the Wim Hof Methodist rather than here's like this small slice of stuff that you could do part of a bigger slice. It's interpreted as this is it. This is the only way to do this thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. You might also be speaking about holotropic breathing, which is hyperventilating for, you know, an hour or an hour and a half. And, and yeah, it's weird because breathwork has been around for, you know, thousands of years, right? You know, at least at least the Rig Veda, which is like one of the oldest texts out there, like at least. it's probably, you know, people have been breathing a lot longer than that. Wim Hof has sort of become, because he's so famous right now, he has become sort of breathwork Jesus, right? He becomes like the progenitor of breathwork. And we've totally forgotten. We've, we were like, oh, like the Stoics were doing this stuff. In the 70s, we had the human Potential movement, and we had a lot, so many different type pranayama is, is the yogic tradition, and qigong in China, and like tons and tons and tons of breath work. But some because of people like me, Joe Rogan, and and you know, he, Wim Hof got so unbelievably popular so quickly, and the method is interesting because it works very quickly. Like it's not like you're doing this, you don't see results. It's like you see results that minute right? You hyperventilate and you do Wim Hof stuff and then you do some push-ups and you did more push-ups than you ever thought you could do. And so it's super quick, but it doesn't mean it's original. It doesn't mean, because he didn't invent it. He just stole it from pranayama. It's called Bastrika Kumbhaka Pranayama and Suryabhita Pranayama. These are two different methods. He just mixed them together and was like, ha ha, I got something new. And then he also Because there's a financial motive, obviously, right, Wim Hof Method Empire is worth $18 million, it's a big international corporation, Uh, it behooves them to pretend that they invented this stuff. So when Wim Hof tells the story of where it came from, he says, "I, I jumped into the ice water and I started to hyperventilate and I realized that my body wanted to do that, so then I started hyperventilating on land and then I created the method out of nothing. That's his story. It's repeated in all all sorts of places. What he doesn't say that he wrote a book on Pranayama in 1982 and had studied Indian traditions and even went to India and studied there. So it's like he he erases that history and the journalists sort of let him do it because everyone's like, oh, Wim is so great. And Mm -hmm. we've all put him on this pedestal where, and, and I think I did a decent job in What Doesn't Kill Us not putting him on a pedestal, showing some of his flaws, but I did edit some flaws out that I thought, look, this is such a big flaw. It's going to like make people never want to jump, like jump into an ice bath, edited out by me and edited out by other journalists who came across them because we didn't want to undermine the beauty of these methods by, by talking about the madness of the man. And that has turned out to be an error because As he gets more famous, as he gets better, we have this sort of cult of Hoff, which is emerging with people who are like, you know, Wim Hof saved my life. He saved millions of lives, just like Jesus. And you, sir, are Judas, and you are evil for bringing these out. And like, it's getting insane. It's getting really dangerous. And I feel like putting some of those stories out there a little earlier would have would have let people know, given them a little tip, that maybe Wim Hof might be a great door to a great method. But not somebody you follow blindly.
0: There is a tiny slice of—I don't know if this is science or pseudoscience. You actually have investigated this. I saw you interview a scientist who got in this. Mm-hmm. This little slice of brown fat Oh yeah. and cold exposure—that with the originals, kind of. Oh, the more you do cold exposure, the more brown fat you build up, and that is good for your metabolism and your body and you can withstand cold longer. Yeah. But now this is this has come under the lens of more scientific scrutiny. What is the deal with brown fat?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's all these brown fat influencers out there talking <laughs> about brown fat. And like, even scientific research papers that are like, brown fat's going to make you thin and fix everything. And there's That's NIH the brown
0: funding. Fat yeah, totally.
1: Susan Soberg is one of them. And Andrew Huberman, who's the, the biggest podcaster in the world right now, they're all about the brown fat. But if you actually look at the research. Yeah. You know, Soberg is a, is a researcher who studies brown fat, but you actually read her papers. It's like, well, we can't really conclude much from this, you know. And if you look at Wim Hof's own brown fat content, it's actually very low. and And I wrote about brown fat in my book, and I said, and and there was some conflicting research at that time. It was, you know, it was, the book was written in 2017, and I was like. I'm not totally sure about brown fat, but here's the case for it, right? Yeah, and and there is some case for brown fat. It's out there, uh, and but I was also like, but I'm not sure. And it, maybe it's a totally different mechanism that matters that's going on here. And I, I think that we're at a point right now where there's two camps of strongly held belief people. There is the strongly held belief people that getting in ice water makes you get brown fat, which makes you get thinner, which makes you get resistant to cold. And then there's this other group of people like, wait a minute, some of the science maybe was a little overhyped. The data sets are maybe not that great. And we need to study it a lot more before we understand that that outside of infants, because infants do need brown fat, well-established infants are very important, that in adult humans, we actually heat ourselves with muscle movement. We actually hit ourselves with the cardiovascular stuff, breathing. The friction of life keeps us alive. And maybe it's not that important. And the camps are vitriolic. If you want to get into your next debate, go to like an ice bath convention and start telling people that you don't think brown fat's all that great and you will get into a fight.
0: So from what we know right now, it's not all that it was chalked up to be. Okay. And that's pretty much all we know. And the the interview was with Otto Music
1: of uh, Wayne State University, who's a neuroscientist who scanned WIM. He's the most recent big name scientist to study WIM. And he did a paper, which is like Wim Hof Method shows some of the fundamental pathways neurologically that help develop a placebo response. So that's a really cool paper. If you want to accentuate a placebo response, Wim Hof method's not a bad path to go do that. But You know, when I interviewed Otto more recently, he was like, look, forget Wim Hof. We don't care about Wim Hof. The same processes that work with Wim Hof Method Breathing work with all of the yoga, the power of positive thinking, hypnosis. It's the same pathway. I just happened to study it with Wim Hof. And yet Wim Hof and Inner Fire, the organization behind him, are promoting it like Wim Hof is the special sauce.
0: Link in the show notes to that one. Link, it, link in the yeah. show notes. Link in the show notes. See, like the, it's see how easy it is? You don't even have to explain it. We'll just link yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Huh. Sign up for alerts or whatever. No, no, buy no my, don't sign up for alerts. No, no alerts, no alerts. Buy my Bitcoin enema, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> wait a second. We just need to pause on the awesomeness of that. Right <laughs> Bitcoin. Nice. I want to finish up with the law of speedy gains. You did a monologue on this on your yeah. pod, the Law of Speedy Gains. Was this a term that you made up, the Law of Speedy yeah, of Gains? Yeah, I did. I invented that term. <laughs> Wait, so I again. think. I mean, maybe someone said it before me. So but in uh, this pod, we've got Bitcoin yeah. enema and we've got the Law of Speedy Gains. What? Dig into that. What is that?
1: By the way, thank you for listening to all of my my, my whole podcast. That's awesome. And for everyone <laughs> who's listening right now, give a five-star review to the Stimulus Podcast, which you <laughs> called and one <laughs> Go down there and do your (laughs) voodoo. Okay. So the law of speedy gains is, I think, a really powerful concept that we already know of it, but we don't play with it. And what it is, is when you take on a new practice, I don't care what it is. Meditation, ballroom dancing, sumo wrestling, doesn't matter what it is, or speed reading. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. When you first start that learning process, you have... An exponential curve from zero understanding of ballroom dancing to better understanding of, of ballroom dancing, and you get much better at ballroom dancing. The you know when you take your first like six lessons, and that is the law of speedy games. You try something new, you get better at the new skill. The flip side of the law of speedy gains is what we all get mad at, which is the law of diminishing returns, which is where after you've had that gain, it gets, you have to put more and more effort to have more and more improvements. And and one of the problems with the law of diminishing returns, because I write a lot about cults, you got into a cult, you start meditating, you start ice bathing, you start breath working, whatever it is, and then you see your life improve. You get healthier, you get more attention to your, you know, whatever, like your sex life gets better, whatever it is, it gets better. And then, and that's usually the free entry point into any cult, and then they introduce you to level two. If you want to get to level two, you you need to you know buy our course or whatever whatever it is. Level two is you know join the cult of Zenu in
0: Scientology, right? This this is exactly how Scientology works.
1: Yeah, yeah. you know, it, 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 there's a really good entry point in Scientology, and then there's like the shit that comes afterwards. Level two is always shitty compared to level one. Sometimes they'll have like another technique which you will get some speedy gain on but ultimately the upsell is is always worse the freemium business model is out there give your best stuff away and then hide the rest behind the paywall and that's what happens with with all of these cultish groups but what I want to suggest with the law of speedy gains is why not just take the gains why not become a generalist instead of specialist you want to start learning to ice bath you go in there you you spend like a week learning to ice bath You don't need to go to level two ice bath, right? You don't need to be the world record holder of ice bathing that, you know, I didn't become. You don't need to, you know, when you will learn to ballroom dance, you can have a lot of fun ballroom dancing, but you don't need to go to level two. If you become a generalist and you realize that the law of speedy gains is out there, you can actually sort of hop from thing to thing to thing to thing and become a, a really happy dilettante instead of someone who meditates to death inside of a cave trying to find enlightenment.
0: So- there's the inch deep and a mile wide and a mile deep and an inch wide.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this,
0: this would be a mile wide and an inch deep. Well, maybe not so superficial, maybe like a couple feet deep.
1: I think actually people's gains taper out at different levels depending mm-hmm. on the person. And you might find that there are certain things where depth keeps on going because of your own personal history, your biology, your you know whatever. And maybe this is a way to find where your depths are because I am a very wide person and I'm deep in a couple categories and you too should be both wide and deep and you should figure out where you're deep. Like... You know, you're good at podcasting. You're a doctor. Like there are things that you're good at, but you're probably not a good sumo wrestler. But if you took a class in sumo wrestling, you might get a little better, right? Mm -hmm. And having that ability to be like, look, I don't have to be an expert in everything. I don't need to be a top performer. And that's like another thing I talk about a lot where, you know, we we have these idols. You want to learn to be a great basketball player. So you get advice from Michael Jordan. Well, that's dumb. Michael Jordan is not going to give you useful advice. He, You know, you learn from the kid down the street because that's the kid you're playing against. And whatever Michael Jordan, he might tell you to like, you know, keep your head in the game or, or something, and that's fine. But he is actually a terrible role model to follow because you, my friend, are not a top athlete. You are not going to win a, a championship in basketball. You are not the best skier in the world. And we, we, we tend to idolize the people who are at the top of the field mm. without realizing that Will never be there, and what we actually want to get out of these experiences is joy, having fun, and and you can't have fun when you're trying to be the best.
0: I have a neighbor who's an artist, and uh-huh. I look at his things, and I ask I ask someone I said, do you think if I took and this comes back to when you're talking about the joy, because like I my writing looks like uh, I don't know like I'm l- like tea leaves on the bottom. You're
1: the you're book. a doctor, I get yes. it.
0: <laughs> so I said, do you think? if I took enough art classes, I could make art like you. And he said, if you took art classes for 30 years, you could be 10% as good as me, but you might have a little bit more joy in it. And so there are certain things that, that I do that are so incredibly deep. But there's those other things, you know, I probably could never do calligraphy, but maybe if I took some classes, I could have this like a, you know, yeah. 5% neater handwriting and be more fun to write.
1: Yeah, totally. Like go take a watercoloring class. Like why yeah. not? And, you know, I'm a terrible artist. My, my wife actually, I said this because my wife just went to the Botanic Gardens in town and and watercolored something. And I, and and she came back right home and was like, hey, look what I made. I was like, oh, that's a really cool cactus. And she's like, it's water lilies. <laughs> 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 and, <laughs> which was a, a charming little moment because it's like she had fun and that was that was what mattered. And I think it's still a great picture of a cactus person. I think it's a great cactus.
0: <laughs> all right, so people want to see your new vid, hear your yeah. stuff, where do they go?
1: So I have a YouTube channel, it's called Scott Carney or Scott Carney Investigates is also my podcast. It's on all of the platforms and I'd love you to go check it out and listen to one of those episodes after you have liked and reviewed this episode on Rob's
0: podcast. <laughs> Scott, such a treat. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah.
1: Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks.
0: And that is it for today. To learn more about one-on-one coaching, to get complete show notes for this or any other episode, sign up for our newsletter and find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Maybe not, maybe it's happening. Just head over to our website, roborman.com. Until the next time my friends. Be well and keep on rocking.